Hey, it's Tarzy Party. He's Bill and Daniel. We fill our pop culture holes with various pieces of media we missed the first time around. This time it was my choice, but since we just did all for April, I picked a movie I've seen before, but I wanted to make Bill watch. It's 1955's The Lady Killer, not the one with Tom Hanks. Oh yeah, that's right. That's yeah, that's my only real knowledge about this movie is the fact that the least beloved Coen Brothers movie is a remake of a, m a beloved English classic. And everyone hates mm -hmm. the Coen Brothers version, but everyone loves the Ealing original uh, comedy classic. Um, mm -hmm. And oh god, I was gonna say something. Oh, I was gonna do. I was my. my I was gonna try to do an Alec Guinness like "Hello there" <laughs> opening because yeah. like his entrance in this movie yeah, is so that's... great. I wanted to emulate that, but I mm. should have known that like between me just not being able to carry through a bit, and also mm -hmm. like it's not like <laughs> it's not like I'm good with impressions. That was never gonna work. <laughs> And also, that's totally a visual thing in the movie. <laughs> like, yeah. I would have to put in false teeth and bleach my hair and put, like, mm -hmm. Tim Burton makeup under my eyes so I could look like uh, Elegantus in this movie. But, uh, yeah, so this is... Uh, the this is one of my dad's, my dad's favorite movies. Well, just, I didn't remember a ton of it, but I remembered a lot of it. Well, just to give context for like what we're going to do this month, uh, last year we did Awful April, and after Awful April we did, I think, what we called... Uh, was it Marvelous May? Something like that. And we're going to kind of kind of try to do the same thing again, too, where we're going to be talking about stuff that we have some experience with, but we just like enough that we just want to talk about it on the podcast. Uh, in June, we'll get back to our normal programming of talking about shit that we have never, ever seen before. But yeah, so you wanted to... Uh, yeah, so you've seen... Have you ever seen this whole thing before? Have you only seen Yeah. Bits? Okay. No, I, I, I had watched it with my dad, but I was pretty young when how because so, this like is... for some re for some reason i remember it being in black and white in my head yeah well did you which we, we i might have watched it on black and white tv yeah that's exactly i was gonna say well also these comedies the ealing comedies which is a whole subgenre genre of film this is this is one of the things i love about tidy the party because like me growing up a film nerd and reading about like movie history and stuff like that i always hear about these you know, movie genres and subgenres and like outputs of very specific obscure uh, movie studios and stuff like that one of those things i always heard about were the english ealing studio classics which was just a bunch of comedy films produced by this english film studio called ealing uh from like i think it's from the 1930s into the late 50s in fact i think lady killers is one of the last uh films of that vaunted bunch of movies that the studio made even though the studio technically still exists today but like you know there's this very specific like 15 year window where they're producing all these comedies that they became known for and mm. i would have never watched this shit if it hadn't been for you saying hey <laughs> Let's watch this old Ealing Studios classic, and uh, so it's uh, that's doubly interesting to me that you like kind of grew up with this film in kind of a ways. Not that you watch it all the time, but enough that you knew what this was. Because this, yeah, this is totally one of those things I would have been interested in seeing by myself, but I would have maybe never gotten around to it if I didn't get pushed into it. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so you, you? So, so so you saw bits and pieces as a kid, but like you never sat down and watched the whole thing all the way through. <laughs> I feel like I watched the whole thing, yeah. but it probably was like with advertisements on TV or something. Oh god, I, I could totally see and see this being like the fucking UHF Sunday afternoon classics, you know, like yeah, 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 yeah. and like yeah. growing yeah, up in my the eighties or nineties. Yeah, my dad was yeah, my dad was a big foreign movie fan from this kind of stuff to Yojimbo yeah, and the Kurosawa movies and all that. Especially in America, you'd have to really go out of your way to find this, because this is not like, it's not like yeah, Blockbuster when, ever had an Ealing Studios Classics shelf or anything no, like that. Yeah, when he was in his 20s, which uh, 
him and his, his best friend at the time would go to like foreign movie festivals and all yeah. that kind of doohickeys, jazz stuff. So what do you think about, well I guess we can talk about the movie, but like, do you, do, are you happy with having gone back and actually sat down and watched this thing for real? Yeah, it's 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 still it's it's enjoyable. I I get why my dad liked it. It's not it's not hilarious, but it's it's, it's, a, it's got its, it's moments. A, it's yeah, it's it's a charming little black comedy from back in the. We 50s. have watched far worse comedies, and not even like talking about like an awful April perspective, but yeah. like I, yeah, my, I think it fits kind of in with it's like a funny version of uh, Dial M for Murder, where it's uh, kind of yeah a, a comedy of failure. A Follies yeah. or whatever that thing is. And I can totally see why the Coen brothers would have remade this, because it's totally up their alley where it's, like, kind of goofy and funny and a little mysterious and foreboding, but, like, it's got a happy enough ending that it's, like, all the bad guys get their just desserts and the little lady, she's kind of bulletproof, so that's kind of fun. And, mm -hmm. yeah, I even love the aesthetic of this movie, just... Like, I don't know which well, how you watched this movie, but I found a copy in the internet dumpster. And it mm -hmm. looks kind of all bleary and ruddy as shit. It looks all kind of pinkish. <laughs> and yeah. it looks like a way that, like, no American comedy even of that time would look like. Because, like, like, I just watched a big chunk of... Oh, God, what's the space movie from, like, 1956? It's like a, it's, an, it's an American science fiction movie of the time, not Fantastic Voyage. Uh, Forbidden Planet. Mm -hmm. And that is a gorgeous-looking movie. But then watching this English movie, I don't know if something happened where they were, like, still running low on good film stock, even though it was ten years after World War II. But, like, yeah, the whole movie just kind of looks like it was filmed through someone's asshole. But, like, <laughs> not that that matters or anything like that. But I just even love the, like, this, like, period, like, post-war, but before, like, the 60s and the Beatles era of London where it's still like kind of dirty and grimy and everything's very prim and proper still. very prim and proper still very kind of what you kind of think not mary poppins-esque but very it's a very specific time period but like post-victorian pre-1960s kind of like more modern modernization of england in fact actually looking up to see if this house was a real thing um, I guess this was an actual house that was built over a train yard, but they talk about how everything you see in this movie is just gone. Just because, mm -hmm. like, you know, of course any kind of, uh, housing stuff near a train yard, like, as the city gets developed, all that stuff gets torn down and made, you know, like, hotels and stuff get built on this week. And, uh, even yeah. though I guess, like, the train yard, that everything we see, even though they claim in the movie that's also supposed to be adjacent to King's Cross, I guess in real life this is all filmed near, near the P St. Pancras, uh, oh, train station, oh so my. they lied! Oh my god. Which is a special hor horrible, because King's Cross is where Harry Potter goes! So you're watching this movie and looking for Harry Potter, and he's not gonna be there! So this movie's a motherfucker! <laughs> no. God it's basically, especially since they take place in the same time era. I know, it's, it's well, you know, they got time travel. They're fun. Mm. So anyway, go ahead, you can start this. This is, yeah, this is your movie. Anyway, oh, it's, God. uh, well, the movie starts with a greasy, naked dad hitting a gong with a, <laughs> a big mallet. <laughs> I was like, I fired this up, and I'm like, wait, did I actually put in, like, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom? Like, what the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> I it's guess a rank, a rank organization. <laughs> Which presents? that's not the best title either, too. Who? We might as well be an called. E Here's a stinky fish film. <laughs> An Ealing Studios. Yeah, Who? that's again. That's something you wouldn't know about unless you're like. Well, you actually even then, I probably wouldn't even know about Ealing Studios as much if I wasn't. You know, I'm such a huge Star Wars nerd, and of course, this starring Alec Guinness. And Alec Guinness would talk about how 
up until Star Wars, he was mostly known either as like a Shakespearean actor in England or uh, to the common film going public, he was known for these Ealing film comedies. And so that's mm-hmm. my only real reference for this shit. And so I was like, oh, it's one of the Ealing things that like, yeah, uh, Alec Guinness was known for before Star Wars. So I was like, ooh, doubly happy. So, but yeah, Ealing's and it's all like little flowery and shit like that. And I'm like, oh man, this is, and especially <laughs> we're recording this like the weekend Avengers Endgame came out. And so I went from going to watch Avengers Endgame, coming home and then watching this. And it was like some get, tonal fucking whiplash. I was gonna say, how's your neck from that whiplash? Yeah, especially this like all little dotty, like it's a little flowers, a little old English lady, <laughs> and then would you like some tea for tea for two hours? And, yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Yeah, and I I'd say that I forgot Peter Sellers was in this, but I don't think when I when I, my dad showed me this movie, I, I I I didn't know who the fuck Peter Sellers was. I didn't even recognize him when he first showed up. I had to like go back and double check. I was like, oh, it's the. It's... But that's because he a baby. Yeah, that's. And he doesn't have facial old. hair, which is weird. Does he have facial hair? The like a lot of mustache stuff and other things. Uh, usually it's kind of what he's most I'm well known think, for. The, the pink, pa- the pink panther has facial hair, which and... I've not seen much. I've seen bits and pieces yeah. as a kid. But... Well, yeah, but you've seen I- images yeah. from it. Well, did, um, didn't we do? He has he has facial hair and Doctor Strange loves uh, for the <laughs> character that looks the most like him. Did which we is do the, Strange the Love for British the podcast? Guy. Yeah, that was like episode four. Because that makes or sense. Six. That would be back in the day. Because I thought I know you and I had talked about. it. I don't know if we had done it for podcast stuff. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, now I'd seen being there too, which was I think the last major thing he did before he died. I don't remember him having facial hair and a lot of that stuff, but he still has well, a that's distinctive how I, look. That's yeah, that's yeah. that's how I pictured him. And everyone else in this movie, aside hair. from Peter Sellers and Alec Guinness, is just a generic British person. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a little old lady. She leaves her little old house. She's like a Wallace and Gromit character. Like, even her house is, like, a little Walls and Gromit set, like, over that train yard? Yeah. I've never seen anybody look so old and tiny and frail in my life. Yeah, she, and she's a perfect little pepper pot of a lady. She's, like, you know, the, she got little shoes and she got a little umbrella and she goes, yeah. To, when, yeah. When, when, when you think of little old British lady, she is what comes to mind. And she's so kind and nice and she's like, oh, hello there. I'd like to make you some tea. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. great. It's Mrs. Wilberforce. Okay. She she goes and sees the police to let them know that her friend Ad didn't actually see a rocket ship in her garden. That's, yeah. It, it was all a dream, and it seems like she's always coming in and telling the shit, because they're like, all right, Mrs. Wilberforce, all right. And, they, of course, all the cops in this movie were totally like, hey, we'll, we'll just, you know, I'm surprised they all don't have the big walrus mustache and everything, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Twirling, twirling their batons exactly, all the time. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> God. Singing Tarantara, Tarantara. <laughs> arms linked in unison, just like yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so she, she leaves the police station after they they humor her for a bit. I love that she's not even reporting the existence of a suspected uh, existence of a spaceship. She's just coming back to correct her friend's opinion that there might be a spaceship. She's like, oh, my friend was listening to well, a no, radio has, play. No, she, no, she's like, I dreamed it all. Oh, that's what like, it oh, is. And oh, so you, oh, you get the feeling that this lady comes in here every goddamn morning reporting about what's going on in the neighborhood and stuff like that. So uh, mm-hmm. the cops are cool with her, but they, they seem to be very much like, okay, thank you. It's great seeing you, but uh, you know, let us know if you ever see anything else again. So they just kind of brush mm-hmm. her off. Yeah. Yep, and she almost forgets her umbrella, but they make sure to get her. I do love. She's like, oh, I just, I just rewatched the first ten minutes again while w- w- waiting for uh, our call to start, and like I do love. She's like, oh, I must, I must have uh, intentionally forgot her because I don't like it very much. And then she kind of <laughs> waddles off. Yeah. There's a, 
she she checks in at the local shop to see if anybody has made an inquiry about her advertisement. Yeah, which it's on a little postcard outside the window of the the shop, mm-hmm. the corner store. There's there's a very sinister, dark, looming figure about. It is it great because it's first revealed because she put like it suddenly starts to rain. And she puts up her umbrella, and her umbrella is, like, just, you know, jet black and, like, hiding the face of the guy who's kind of, like, suddenly shadowing her from out of the blue. And so you don't get to see his face, but he's stalking her the whole way home, which is really nice. Yeah. Mm, it's so nice. Well, I just say it! It's just, like, nice and creepy for, like, <laughs> No, months. no, yeah. this, that, yeah, this, this, this section I thought was very well shot for, yeah. like, him looming about the outside of her house while she's banging on pipes with hand mallets to get the water Which, to I flow. I guess that seems like such a specific, like, who the director or whoever made this must have been, like, must have grown up with a pipe system like that, because she's got this giant wooden mallet, and, and she, so she turns on the, I thought this was going to be a plot device later, but it never is. It's just English weirdness. But yeah, I love that she turns on the hot water to fill up her tea uh, kettle, and, like, she just has to wait, like, she has to bang on the pipes and then, like, wait, like, like, to the count of five for the water to start coming out. It's just kind of a cute, just, like, little bit of her daily life. I thought it was fun. Mm-hmm. She's got three birds she talks oh, to. God, yeah. Paris, a cockatiel. And, uh... Like, general something-something. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, the front door rings, and it's Alec Guinness looking toothy as fuck. I made one note for this whole movie, and it was just, what the fuck is wrong with Alec Guinness? Because you felt like, because there's been, like, a good, like, two or three minutes of suspense building up to, like, who is this guy, and what's he gonna look like? Because he's obviously very, like... He, like, he's he's not good. The movie's very clear about like this dude's danger, and the, the door opens and it's him. And he's like, it's like if Peter Laurie and Humphrey Bogart got stuck in a transporter accident, because mm. like they do up his eyes to be all kind of like bug-eyed, but then he's talking out of the side of his mouth with these giant teeth, kind of like B- Humphrey Bogart style, and he's got like the shock of white hair that's hanging down on his face, so he's a little bit like Judge Doom. He's like this weird cross yeah, combination of all these different like evil things from movies. But yeah. That's who he eventually reminded me of the most is Judge Doom. Yeah, just because he's so just kind of like, and he's also kind of watched walks a little hunched over and a little like, yeah. It, 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 it again as someone who has grown up without like my big touchstone for Alec Guinness is Star Wars, and to a lesser extent, um, I've seen him in Richard of the Richer. Yeah, what have you seen him for uh, Alec Guinness in anything else? I don't. Think so unless my dad had me watch some of his stuff that I don't remember. Yeah, I, I saw him. I've seen big parts of uh, Bridge of the River Kwai. I know he's in. Oh God, is he in Lawrence of Arabia? And he's in Doctor Zhivago. But like, this is kind of funny. Seeing, and I'm sh- like, what I've seen him in all that other stuff. He's still kind of like Alec Guinness. He's not quite Obi Wan Kenobi, but he's still prim, proper, upper right, you know, English gentleman. And this, he's just like, hello there talking out of the side of his mouth. Brrr. Yeah, and it's just kind of great to see him just, like, kind of playing this universal monster of a man. It's great, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, he's Professor Marcus. He's inquiring about her room to rent. Mm-hmm. Uh, she goes to put her kettle away. He sees painting hanging crooked, so he tries to straighten it. But she comes back and is like, oh, that's quite impossible. The house is all kinds of fucked up structurally. Yeah, it got so fucked up great. during the bombing of the uh, during the blitz. I didn't appreciate this till starting to rewatch it a second time before I started recording. But yeah, like the set design for this house, there's no right angles in the interior of this house. Like the steps are all kind of fucked up, and like all the mm-hmm. railings are all kind of fucked up. But like not like in a cute, crazy Tim Burtony way where it's calling attention to itself how fucked up it is. But just no. like just. Yeah, it's a house that's crooked on, on in, in every possible angle, just subtly enough to kind of put you at 
uh, at at kind of unease, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, she doesn't have any other renters living there at the moment. The yeah. house. She's most got of like the house two rooms on, on the upper floor that yeah. like yeah. most of that most of the house is unlivable. Uh, but the sitting room and the bedroom are still usable, mm-hmm. and it works great. He'll take it. He wants to move in tomorrow, but he wants to know if it's cool if his band can practice there. They're gonna, they're gonna compete in the battle of the bands. And they're gonna beat Bill and Ted. Oh yeah. <laughs> He's like, madam, we have a ska band. <laughs> like, pick it up, pick it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, they're a string quartet, amateurs, really. And then she's like, fuck yeah, baby, rock and roll. And she shows him the devil horns. Then uh, he meets her birds and says he'd like to move in tomorrow Mm -hmm. if that's agreeable. And then after commenting on how he loves windows and the souls of the house or something. Yeah, he goes out of his way just to say the creepiest shit to this lady and she never picks up on it. (laughs) Like, it's great, yeah. Yeah. And the next evening, the doorbell rings. And it's Mr. Marcus's friend, Mr. Court. Yeah, I uh, guess Major Mr. Marcus Courtney. has just moved in and all of his friends are starting to show up, yeah. Mm-hmm. Major Courtney. And then Mr. Lawson. Is a Major very Courtney large... like the walrus guy? Yeah, you could call him Colonel Mustard because he looks like every Colonel he... Mustard that's been in the game of Clue. Yeah, and he doesn't do a lot of stuff in this movie. Uh, the no. three more important characters are, yeah, the big guy. Uh, there's... Which is Mr. Lawson. Oh, okay, yeah. Mr. Robinson, which is Peter Sellers. Yeah, he's just kind of neurotic, smaller, skinny guy. Yeah. Yeah, the younger, the younger and experienced dude. And, <laughs> and as if you didn't notice, he was a gangster. The last guy shows up. He's like this Czech dude, bald. He looks like a Looney Tunes cartoon caricature of a gangster, and he's he's got like a violin case that he's holding like a Tommy gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just like he's super suspicious, and he's just acting what? like a cartoon gangster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I, I also, I, it's it's uh, it's not realistic, but I like the lighting in this movie. They yeah. do a lot with it, just like in scenes. You don't the focus isn't on somebody in a doorway, but they'll be standing in the doorway, and they're obviously lit. Yeah, in a very particular way. It's almost kind of like universal horror, just like the way they play with light and shadow and stuff like that. It's almost kind of like noirish. I don't want to say like like gangster noirish, but like yeah, it's even though this movie's in color. Like, I, this almost feels like a black and white movie that was colorized in the way it plays with, like, light, light value and stuff like that, yeah. yeah. And between that and, like I said, like, <coughs> the set that is the house that most of this movie takes place in, it's just a heightened enough reality to be, like, it's already, it doesn't feel like a comedy, but it feels like a kind of a place where almost anything can start happening, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's, yeah, it's not so heightened like it's a Tim Burton movie, but still offset enough from reality, it's like, okay, what the hell's gonna happen in this movie? This is weird, yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, Mr. Harvey. He's, oh, the, like the quote-unquote evil gangster guy. Yeah, yeah. the gangster guy. Yeah. So um, they all go upstairs, and she, she enjoys the music that they play, which is just a record that they put on. The best part of the movie, I'm watching it now, and there's a thing where Alec Guinness puts on the record, and he does this little dance to it. And it's just the way he just looks so diseased and he's dancing and it's just it literally it's just five seconds out of the film, but that like I think that's the moment where it's like, okay, this is gonna be a good movie. Mm, good. Yeah. And then uh upstairs they talk about how this is all part of Marcus's plan, because he's the brains of the operations. Yeah. They're gonna rob a, a transport truck or some shit and use her house to their advantage, but the evil guy Mr. Harvey don't like it. He don't like old ladies. And there's just too much to his... I, uh, there's too much at stake here, and there's too many uh, variables that he doesn't think that uh, Alec Guinness has taken into consideration. 
But Alex, mm -hmm. Alex, 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 kid from Sega Genesis World. Alex Guinness is all like, "Oh no, actually, this old lady, she's like the heart of my plan. Like, we yeah. can't get rid of her because like she's going to be the thing that is uh, going to help us pull off this this scheme." Which I guess is the idea that they they want to rob. I didn't even get the idea. I don't even understand exactly what they're trying to rob, but they're trying to steal a bunch of money from the train station that her house well, is built right next to. Yeah, not quite. We'll, uh, we'll, well you will get to that. They okay, actually, yeah. do that. Okay. So, um, there's a knock on the door, and they all scamper to look like they were playing their instruments. Yeah. She offers them some tea, and she comes in and is like, "Mr. Marcus wasn't honest about who they are," and they all get their buttholes tense up. This goes, like, there's, this goes on for a cut, like, this goes back and forth for a while, because where she keeps on coming back and going away, and they put the instruments away, and then she comes back, and they have to put, uh, pick up their instruments, and again, yeah, this, this goes back and forth for a couple times, yeah. And, and they they aren't amateurs at all, they gotta be professionals. Mm. And again, playing the music. gangster guy's, like, holding his violin over his shoulder, like, slung, and is this mm -hmm. the scene where she, like, talks to the big guy, and she's like, oh, you sound like such a wonderful celloist. What did you what did you learn how to play the cello? And like the guy's just like I just picked it up. And he literally just, just, he just it up. Yeah, and that's the big guy. He's just the big guy. That's his entire character trait. And he talks like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's probably your best impression I've ever heard you do. That's because I'm a big dumb guy too, but not in that big <laughs> way. I'm just another kind of big dumb guy. Yeah. And we we have an international language. Mm. Well. Uh so let's see what it is. so um they all have big gang bags. she well she tells a story oh no <laughs> she tells <laughs> see the rent is free if you service me uh, no so she just kind of talks about I'm how gonna they're, do, I'm gonna they're be, really I'm gonna great start, i'm gonna start making money doing lady i'm gonna be that one person on the internet who thinks they can make a fortune off of lady killer porn and <laughs> just mm. like it'll become a thing like i'm gonna drive away everyone on twitter and tumblr and everything just by like what the hell's wrong with billy lost his mind yeah he's not drawing alec get his fucking 90 year old lady what's <laughs> happening stop it okay so um she tells a random story about how the music reminded her of her 21st birthday, and that's when she heard the Queen was dead, yeah! and that ended her party. So presumably she's talking about Queen Victoria, because if this is the 1950s and she's like 70 years old, that means she, yeah, she must have been 20 years old when Queen Victoria died. But yeah, actually, mm -hmm. look, in the past, she would be that old. That's fucking crazy. And so, yeah, but she's, yeah, this is, like, yeah, this is pretty yeah, Just rambling. Yeah. Because that's how, how they, that's her character. She loves to ramble. Yeah, and all the then, guys kind of uh, put up with her just blabbering about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She leaves, and Mr. Harvey doesn't want her involved, so uh, they put it to a vote, and it ends up split with Lawson casting a final vote. He's the big guy, but when Harvey's like, "Ah, oh, last vote's being left up to this dumb muscle. It's outrageous." He's like, "Oh, it's because I'm a dumb muscle. Don't mean I vote don't count for nothing. Yeah. I want the old lady to." Get in here and get involved. So they're already kind of setting up the personality clashes that are gonna kind of tear these guys apart later on in the film. Not that not, you know that's like it's not that it's like the world's subtlest writing or anything like that, but yeah. Yeah. So uh, he also uh, he, uh, Henry also mentions Harvey also mentions that he's never worked with Marcus before, but the major Courtney says he's good, which is all he needs, I guess, and. He says for Marcus to worry about his plan working, because part the part with the old lady involved sounds like something somebody cooked up in a booby hatch, and the music <laughs> lets you know 
and that alligators. The movie is... kicks itself off the fucking rails for a moment, <laughs> or at least threatens to. It's the weirdest. I had to rewind it because I thought I missed something. Yeah. Nope. As the music and that uh, set piece and everything lets you know that this motherfucker <laughs> probably was in the loony bin. Well, he says he says something about the loony patch, booby patch, or booby hatch, or whatever the fuck. And like Alan Guinness is suddenly turned away from him, and suddenly the music changes, the light changes, his hair is suddenly hanging down in front of his face, and he st starts to turn, and you think he's gonna turn into a monster or something. <laughs> it's like Hellboy or something <laughs> like that. And then suddenly you're like, oh my god, what the fuck's about to happen? And suddenly the old lady knocks and she's got more tea for everybody and suddenly it's like nothing ever happened but you're like wait what the fuck was that okay yeah and so that's when you realize there's something profoundly wrong with this dude yeah yeah holy shit and then later at the train station marcus which is alec guinness just to reiterate is okay. uh yeah, watching yeah, the trains just, yeah he's got a little come hat and go. on he got a little hat on he's watching <laughs> the trains come and go while he's taking notes and taking photos <laughs> thanks rick and morty <laughs> Is oh, offloading money from a truck onto a train, so they're not trying to rob a train. They're going to rob that truck that's delivering. Oh, so the money I to guess the, it's like the, are they the delivery, train station? I guess this is the money that like I guess the train station is taking in from ticket sales and stuff like that. Cause no, that, it's probably just like a bank that you know. There's there's money. Oh, so yeah, I see. I'm watching it now, and it's the guys just taking these giant uh, silver boxes of money off of uh, the banking truck and putting it onto the train. So it is just yeah. literally just moving money around. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, at the house, they, they've gotten accustomed to, but annoyed with Mrs. Wilberforce's consistent, yeah, constant like knocking and, a half. Yeah. and being like, hey, want tea? No, thank oh, you. Oh, this is when they set up, like, and she, she leaves and come back and is like, I could okay. make some coffee instead. And they're like, no, thank you. And she goes away, comes back and she's like, how about my sweet cans? And they're like, no, thank you. Oh, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna sexualize this poor old lady so much. This brutal horror of a Victorian child. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Peter Sellers. <laughs> she did uh, not star in this movie just for like 50 years after she's dead for people to be like, this lady, she can't keep her vagina dry enough. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yeah. Peter Sellers tries to, uh, oh, she needs somebody to, uh, help administer some medicine to one of her parrots so peter sellers is oh do god it. this whole thing He's i forgot half this movie is just like parrot chasing <laughs> yeah okay and then but he gets bent and the parrot's on top of the cabinet so mr lawson's gonna help get it down because he's the tallest he stands on a chair but falls through the the seat because it's one of those old shitty grandma chairs where yeah, the it's seat like a is made chair, of yeah. it's made of the poke you in the butthole wood <laughs> the that you get sliver you'd sit down and stand back up and wonder how you got 50 slivers in your asshole back when people didn't seem to care if a chair was comfortable or not i guess i have no idea what <laughs> no. how those no. chairs were ever invented but yeah oh, oh just God. those intricate little circles everywhere that you could leave in an in Pression on your ass every time you got like grill marks on your fucking balls just from sitting in that chair. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, there's all this like fucking. It's just like Family Matters quality mayhem of people just trying to catch this parrot. But the nice thing is in this these kind of movies is they do it all to like 
They don't use wacky sound effects or goofy music score. It all yeah. just kind of happens in silence. It's all as just people well, fall over and destroy chairs. And, and all the antics kind of like they just, like everyone's approach to trying to get, uh, catch this parrot kind of reflect their personality. Like the big dumb guy, he tries to stand on the chair that obviously can't like yeah. take his Come weight. Here, buddy. Yeah, Peter Sellers, he tries to be sneaky. The gangster guy, he doesn't even want to have anything to do with it because he's too cool and evil. To He's just sitting there just, like, raising his eyebrow at everyone else. And, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's yeah, all just character stuff, really. Mm-hmm. The big guy almost pulls the whole cabin in onto himself. The bird flies out the second floor. And they, they try to catch it, but it eventually flies outside to the roof. And she says they shouldn't trouble themselves anymore. The last time this happened, she just called the police. They brought the fireman with the ladder. I do like the, the moment she go. says that. That lights a fire on everyone else's ass. Like, oh shit, we can't have this lady call the, the fire department. We need to catch this ourselves, I guess. Fuck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as Mr. Harvey climbs on the roof, Marcus strolls up to the front gate where the parrot's sitting and it just climbs onto his arm and he, he yeah. goes inside. Problem I, solved. I was afraid this was going to turn into a, like a shitty 90s like fucking cable guy thing where it's going to become like this never-ending cavalcade of destruction trying to catch this parrot. Instead, no, it's a parrot just, yeah, he just lands on the front porch and I love Alec and just picks it up and that's the end. After all, everyone <laughs> else has just like been trying to like tear their, tear their dicks off trying to catch this thing. Yeah, just Alec just strolls back into the house and he's got the parrot. Everyone's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, there's so much uh, sorry to bother. And uh, Oh no, it's quite alright. This Britishness, is, this movie's British as <laughs> fuck. Man. Yeah. Which is which is weird because I read it was written by an American. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, the 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 he uh he he blew up a circus, and so he had to run to escape to England. <laughs> That's what happened. I have no idea. <laughs> I did I did read up a little bit better about him, but yeah, Wikipedia didn't say why he left uh, America for England. But I love that the idea. Just blowing up a circus is a good excuse to do anything. Like he had to run. Yeah, sure, That's as good as reason as any. Mm -hmm. She God. offers him tea one last time. Marcus politely says no, thank you, and they start to quote unquote play again. And really, then that whole scene only ha I mean, it shows character, but it ca it's kind of killing time because it really. I mean, I guess it. Did the, wait, did the parents become a plot thing later? No. No. So yeah, there's no real reason for any of this happening other than it's a comedy and so wacky physical heist. Yeah, shenanigans. You got to do yeah. something before the heist happens, otherwise, the next scene after the first scene of the movie would just be the heist. The movie would be yeah. only an hour long. Yeah. Yeah. Another day, they start the robbery, splitting up into different cars. By robbery, they're just watching the old lady from a car. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, there is a little bit before that. A little bit, but yeah, a lot of a it's little just, bit. A lot of, a lot of the, half of this movie is us just watching a bunch of uh, British guys watching an old lady. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now, these messages. Studios, inspired creators of the fabulous Lavender Hill Mob, now joyfully embark upon the crest of yet another crime wave. <laughs> Using this sweetly innocent old lady as a bewildered, unsuspecting decoy, the hilariously infamous Alec Guinness prepares a masterstroke of villainy that only he could conjure up and carry through with such demoniacal glee.
No plot was ever hatched with such satanic cunning as Guinness and his genial group of merry minstrels hit every high note in this delightfully different entertainment. True artists, every one of them. Who'd count the cost of such abandoned banditry? Who wouldn't risk a limb or two to join in such high-spirited highwaymanry? I said to nobody what to do. No. I said. I said. Mr. Harvey. I said nobody was to do it. Stop it, Mr. Lawson. Put Mr. Harvey down. What are you doing? Who is Mrs. Lopsided, may I ask? Alec Guinness triumphantly outdoes his laughter-loaded leadership of the Lavender Hill mob as he involves his gruesome gang of lady killers in the season's most uproarious escapade. Now back to our show. Help. They, uh, oh, they there's the thing with the truck and everything like that. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. How they actually, like, yeah, set up everything. They yeah. put a not working sign on a phone booth, and then they they use their two cars to sandwich in the transport truck that got all the money in it, and another another matching big transport truck to block traffic. They put it in neutral and just let it coast and crash into a wall. Yeah. I have to say, then, this does kind of remind me of how they, like, set up and pay off, like, Mission Impossible movies. Like, with mm. all those, like, moving parts to it, and, like, you have to, like, block off a street and go here and distract these guys over here, and... Yeah. Yep, they they pull the, the police out of their car, and Billy Club them, and then they, they oh, easily... Is it the chick guy? He pulls out a Billy Club that for suspiciously for a moment looks like a giant, like, wobbling, like, ball sack dildo thing? <laughs> like, yeah, it's wobbly, it's clubs. not, like, metal, it's, like, wobbly, like, like wacky wall walker material, and I'm like, what the hell was that? But you only get yeah. to see it for, like, one shot, it's just enough to be go, like, wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, so they <laughs> knock them out. And then dump him on the ground, and then they use a uh, crowbar to very easily pry the doors off of this secure truck. Yeah, this secure truck is, like, they were asking to be robbed if this is going to be this easy to crack it open, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, they're pulling the money out of that truck as another cop walks up to the other truck, that the, the, the uh, distraction truck, and literally says, uh, where is it? Oh, fuck. He says, now what's all this dead? Did he? I didn't even notice that. Okay, yep. yeah. He says, now uh, what's all this then? I would love it's... this to be the originator of this. What's all this then? Yeah. Mm-hmm. God. <laughs> As they finish up, the bystander notices and says, hey, but worry not, the policeman there has got his whistle, <laughs> and he is going to blow it like crazy. That'll show this them. This is a long time ago. Anti-robbing countermeasures weren't all that great back in the day, but yeah. Mm -mm. Uh, I, I think it was mostly distracting again I just love seeing all this like post-war England just like like not even like super like 
uh, I don't know, something about how everything's all kind of black and all the advertising and the costuming and the cars and everything like that. It's a very specific time and place I've always been kind of slightly intrigued by, but you don't get to see represented in movies very often. But anyway, yeah, the know. two cars split up. One of them almost hitting a policeman in a, in a very that dangerous That guy set. slides out of the way in a way that, like, I, if he hadn't accidentally slid, he may have gotten actually yeah. fucking jacked the fuck up by that car. Yeah, it's yeah. alarming. That's It makes for a great <laughs> shot, but it's like, oh, fuck, man. Oh, yeah. that was, I'm pretty sure this, that dude almost died. Yeah, this movie could have never come out if that guy had been killed on, like, on that set, which almost happens on camera, yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Uh, so, uh... Da, 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 Still more hijinks. The, 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 the two cars split up, and the trunk with the money is taken to the train station where Peter Sellers offloads it, dressed as a worker there, yeah. and he puts it into an area where they're offloading stuff this is from the clever train as hell because the cops do obviously like they just stole the truck all, all that money right out of the back of the banking truck so every, the cops automatically assume that they're going to try to uh get that money onto the train and out of the train station and Allegheny's plan is to instead of like trying to get offloaded onto the train just put it into the section of uh the platform where all the cargo is being offloaded from the train which mm-hmm. he knows that's not going to be... I mean, the cops may think to look there later, but that's not where they're going to go to first. And yeah. that's where they have... That's where he's directed the lady to go to... He's like, he must have told her, like, oh, I've got a, like, a, a parcel coming in for me on the train. Could you go pick it up for me or something like that? And yeah. That's what she's here to collect, which is... That is fucking clever as hell. Yeah. Yeah. And she's there to pick up a parcel as um, uh, the major watches her from a phone booth. And calls Marcus at the phone booth. He put the not working sign on. Oh, that's yeah, because he needed that phone available. Which again, like it's it's kind of a cell phone world. It's kind of like extra funny that you'd have to like take a, like yeah, like uh, essentially knock down a uh, working payphone so you could just be there in case someone had to get in touch with you. you Yeah, and she goes to pick up the luggage and then she she leaves. But oh shit, she's coming back. She's coming back to the train station. Everybody freaks out and tries to pile into the phone booth <laughs> to hear what's going on. And it turns out she forgot her umbrella. She's wah, always doing wah, that. Wah. Mm-hmm. And they follow her back and are like, oh, this plan's pretty good. What could possibly go wrong? Well, I tell you what could go wrong. She could see some man yelling at a horse. Because it's eating his food off his cart. This is so the part she's going to yell at him. <laughs> this is the part of the movie where I'm assuming most of the posters must have been like, Alec Guinness could have planned for everything, but not for Mrs. Gunderson. Because like, it's all just <laughs> hijinks from her just like, getting all up in everyone's fucking business. Yeah, about this like fruit cart and the horse is like, eating apples off the fruit cart. And she's yelling mm-hmm. at everyone and guys start yelling back at her and mayhem just... It's just this 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 turns into a whole comedy of errors where shit just starts to go off the rails and all the guys can do is sit in the car just watching horrors to what the fuck is happening. Yeah. Yeah. So things progress when she tells the driver get out and do something about the brute. And he just stands there, the driver does, while things happen. Eventually the horse the guy who's yelling at the horse slips on some fruit, falls on his ass, and then he stands up and punches her driver. It's now what he do? <laughs> Yeah, things kind of have to escalate artificially in a way that's like, I mean, I know it's a comedy, so it's not supposed to make total sense, but it escal- things escalate pretty artificially quick for an old lady just stopping at a fruit station yelling about a horse, but yeah. That guy falls into a cart, and it freaks the horse out, and it takes off running. I do love a couple minutes later, the horse's owner shows up and is like, where's my horse? Mm-hmm. 
And then the guy whose fruit cart was getting, his stuff was getting, starts ripping off parts of the taxi driver's car because he's obviously a nutcase. <laughs> yeah. And it's, then, it's uh, fascinating to see how easily he could tear a cart apart with your bare hands. Like a car from, like, 1932 or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Like, he rips off the headlights and it's just attached to the car by, like, a thin stra electrical strand. And I'm like, Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. Fucking... The gang, the gang rolls around the block and sees that happening and yeah. also sees that now the trunk has is off the taxi and he's just sitting in front of the police station oh like it, some... almost like in the front door too not even like on the sidewalk outside but like the cops have to like run around run around this like stolen truck full of money just to go out and see what the fuck's going on at this fruit station yeah yeah and it, well everybody's kind of in the car kind of eyeballing it and alec guinness is like i hope no one's suggesting we steal it and uh the police station, everybody's shouting. It's all the people that were in the street brawl. And Mrs. Wilberforce is there, and they eventually escort her out. And At her house, the Major looks out the window to see the cop car pull up outside, and he bails. He fucking jumping over fences and <laughs> climbing over shit to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. But it's just the cops giving Mrs. Wilberforce in the trunk a ride home. Yeah. Which, that is pretty great. If you're going to just pull off this heist, not only does the old lady... Uh, Actually, in a very roundabout way, actually ended up pulling off her part of the heist. But that it ends up being the trunk full of stolen cash is being hand delivered by the cops right behind yeah. her, which is pretty great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a great steamer trunk too. It's a huge, like, like mini fridge sized Like, that's a lot of money. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. So um, the major runs into sellers on the street and freaks out that the police are at the house, and he's like, "I know, the police." <laughs> <laughs> Jackass has brought the trunk home for us. And then later, they all get, uh, they all go home and go up and just look at the money after they unpack it. It's a lot of money, and they love it. That's a lot of money. Oh my god, yeah. It's four giant, like, silver cases full of money. Yeah, I didn't read anywhere if there's, like, a an actual number they ever I think put someone says something about 60,000. Is it 60,000 or 600,000 pounds? I think it is, or something. Yeah, like that. it's a I lot think of that's on the. It, there's something in the paper that actually. Says yeah, exactly. Is, yeah. yeah. I want to say it's sixty or six hundred. But that's but, pretty um, much the end of part one of the movie. That's that that, that what you th that, what could have been a movie by itself is essentially the first half is just set up for the rest. Yeah. Yeah. And so they all get packed up, get ready to leave, load well, I guess everything this, up. This is actually the tail end of the setup, I guess. Actually, this part right here. Yeah. There's uh, a subtle bit of fun that only happens, it's not a running joke, and it only happens twice, but I like uh, Mrs. Wilberforce stepping on Alec Guinness's scarf over and over again. Yeah, because he's got this kind like, of crazy long scarf. And he about. Yeah, he doesn't keep tidied up or anything like that, but yeah. I, I'm assuming that must be one of those things that wasn't even in the script, it was something like the actors just found, yeah. Yeah. So they all, they all load up. Mr. Lawson got to grab his cello case. He's the last to leave, and he's the he big says guy, goodbye. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the door gets closed on the strap of his cello case, and instead of knocking and being like, "My case is so cool," he just yanks on it till it pops open and money flies all over the place. Oh shit! And like, a lady, she finally does open the door the moment after the case pops open, and he gets on his hands and knees and he's trying to scoop up the money before she can see it. And like, this is a perfect moment where she's opened the door and he's looking up at her on his hands and knees, like, "Oh, the money." And then all the other guys come <laughs> running out of the car to like try to scoop up all the money, and she's just like, "What the fuck is going on?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I, there's a great moment. She so. tries to open up the door again, and, and then they close it shut in her face. And it's funny, too, because they only seem to get, like, half the money back into the case, and the rest of it just blew it around the set <laughs> outside the front of the house. But, like, yeah. they, 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 I think they think about, like, they all pile into the car and try to escape, but then they realize that what, like, well, like, this... It's funny that they come back and all the money's missing in, in a bit, though. That, I well, just wanted yeah. to point that From a continuity perspective, that drove me nuts for some reason, but yeah. Anyway, but yeah, they, they're, they're gonna speed away. Mm-hmm, but they can't. Um, so, let's see. Burp, burp, burp. Burp, burp, burp. They can't. They panic. They, they try to leave, and they say they gotta do something about her. She saw the money. She knows they got their prints all over the house, and their faces will be all over the place. Yeah, they, they specifically so they point out that their faces are all cataloged, and so if she speaks to anybody, it's only going to take five minutes for the, for the cops to figure out who they are. Yeah, and then um, they park, head back to the door, and they make up some lie about how he had all that money in his case because he sold his butcher shop, and, but when he Marcus tries to come up with a lie about why how he was playing the cello without a cello, he just giggles like a crazy man. It's funny, because he's the one... He, he brings that up. I wouldn't even thought to... Like, I'm assuming, she, like, the lady would have thought of that eventually, but it's funny that, like, I wouldn't, uh, if I were in that situation, if I were the criminals, I would have not thought of that as being a problem. I would have, like, I, like, if she had thought, figured that out before I had, I would have been totally, like, flat-footed. I'm like, oh, shit, I, uh, I don't know. But, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the, but then, there's a ring at the door, and it's another old lady. Oh, They're multiplying. No. And she's there for tea. They'll have to do, have to kill both of them. But then more old ladies shows up as Peter Sellers goes to park the car. It's a whole gaggle of old ladies. Oh fuck! And one of them has a newspaper that talks about a robbery. Oh fuck! Oh no! She's putting two and two together. Oh fuck! Yeah, and I don't know while this is happening, all the, the the guys are like looking at each other like, oh man, the situation is getting worse with every fucking doorbell ring. Like they don't know what mm -hmm. the fuck to do now. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, it was especially kind of funny seeing the hardened criminal guy and uh, Peter Sellers kind of being extras like in the very back of the room goes going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 60, it's 60,000 so, pounds. Okay. Yeah, I just so, saw the newspaper. She sends her friends into the parlor and she says she can't believe this turn of events. But the conversation doesn't last too long before the old ladies pour out. Like a swarm of locusts all over these dudes, is talking and <laughs> grabbing their instrument cases, and yeah. they get shooed back into the room, and it can't be helped. Marcus and everyone will have to come in for half an hour and behave I was with all these old ladies. I was seriously wondering. I wasn't quite sure if she really fully understood what was happening until I think she finally gets all the little old ladies into that room, and she comes out for a moment to go grab their tea, and then she's like, "Oh, I'm disappointed in all you assholes." Like, okay, she's. I thought the comedy of errors was going was. The rest of the movie was going to be them, like, coming up with ever more ridiculous explanations as to why they had the money and, like, like all this stuff. But no, she just comes out. She already knows what's going on. So, yeah. like, now they have to deal with her directly, yeah, which is I thought was kind of nice. Yep. Peter Sellers comes back in and gets handed tea and biscuit from off screen. I like the visual of that. Yeah. And he's being very confused. His old lady's singing warble as Marcus is sitting at the 
player piano, kind of acting like he's playing it, but not really. But yeah, it's just like, looking yeah, great, grumpy and crazy. His yeah, his hair's gone all super Judge Doom, and he's wearing his jacket like a cloak. He, like he's at he's at his most Judge Doomiest here, where he's just like hunched like a vulture over the player piano, and yeah, all all the guys are trying to make nice, but they're doing a terrible job of it. Mm hmm. Eventually, the old ladies leave, and while helping with the dishes. Margaret explains to her they can't take the money back now. They wouldn't accept it if they did, because they made sure to steal money that was insured, and it, taking it back would only confuse things. See, people pay for this insurance, and it's basically like they only took one farthing. This is what it's really worth. Yeah. And plus, they've all been led to it. I mean, they all have, like, old ladies they're taking care of, and they need the money for that. Yeah, they've gone straight from excuses to rationalizations now. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Even still, she don't know. And they say that, well, we wanted to spare you. But the police will be looking for her as well. Because she, she's oh, the yeah, one that... Oh, yeah, they start gaslighting her by telling her, like, she's going to be responsible now, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Which, that's evil. That's cruel. Yeah. Uh, she carried the package for him. She didn't know, but the law doesn't care about knowledge. She only cares about the doing and... She says she knows the superintendent, but Harvey says if they grab them, he'll say she planned the whole thing. She's the East Consul Street job. They all kind of snicker at the very idea of that. But <laughs> yeah, then, it's pretty cute. Yeah. But, uh, oh, look out. It's a fat cop headed this way on a terrible blue screen for baffling reasons. I, everything outside, like, from the inside out of the house looking outwards, and there's a couple car shots, too, when they're in the car during the middle of the heist, which, I don't know what happened. I guess maybe they just didn't get the shot on the day, so they just kind of fudged it with some kind of blue screen rear projection stuff, but, yeah, it looks dicey as fuck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every time anyone looks down the street from the front porch, it looks like they're just watching a giant movie of the street. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, he rings the doorbell and they tell her to find out what he wants and get him out of there and he can't come in without a warrant and tell him to go to bed early. And so she cracks the door open and he's, he tells her that the uh, chief wanted her to know that they sorted out all that shit with the horse and the guy in the cart and whatnot. Oh, that's right. And, and so he, he was one, out. He's like, wondering yeah. if she he can come in because he's soaked wet and she tells him to know he can't come back without a search warrant and she's going to bed early get guy he go yeah she's being super and suspicious does the whole rest of the movie just take place over the course of this one night yes okay and uh so he leaves but then he turns around and comes back and he's, he's like are you sure you're all right and before that happens they're like tell him to buzz off so she's just the door he's like are you sure you're all right and yes she says yes now please buzz off <laughs> yeah, which is great, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he's, he starts getting a little suspicious because that's she's not talking or behaving the usual genial way she would, but... Yeah, but yeah. he leaves, and she did all right. They, they, they tell her that she can't go to that police station or any other police station ever again. She gotta lay low, but she knows. She knows what she must do, even if it means going to jail. Sinister music! At she, night is... Yeah, mm. she has a right moral compass. Yeah. And, and the night, a storm is happening outside, and the gang is talking about how they should maybe kill her, but they don't know who among them would do it or could do it. She comes in with her hat on and says they're going to the police station and they should go now, but they can't because it's raining and uh, Mr. Lawson has a bad cold. Which is funny, too, because she literally lives like two, two houses down from the uh, police station. Yeah. So it's not like... 
Yeah, anyone's at really risk of getting sick or anything like that, but yeah. still. Any she... excuses to stay away from the cops. Mm-hmm. So, uh, she says they should lock up all the money so there's no temptation. So she takes all the cello cases and violin cases and whatnot and locks them up in the side bedroom. And as soon as she leaves, Mr. Lawson just punches the door open and gives a look like, what the fuck, man? Who cares? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's not going to keep us from getting from our money, yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Harvey throws his knife into the table, cuts a matchstick. They're gonna draw straws, see who kill her. It's the general. He's a mess about it. He don't want to kill the old lady, but if he must, he'll do it. But not down there. Not in her own bedroom with her parents can see. Send her upstairs, so they send her upstairs. Once she's up there, he tells her, they're, they're fucking crazy. He gonna go get the police. Don't worry about it. He's, they're hurt. Her speech moved him, and now he's had a change of hearts, and she gotta trust him. And he crawls out the window to leave, um, with the with the cello case. He got the money, the cello case <laughs> it's a whole full thing, of yeah. all of the money, all the money from the bed. And they notice he's been gone for too long, so uh, they not they they're looking at the door, knock on it, I think maybe, and they she opens it and like, hey, we're still talking here, go away. Yeah. Because he told her she's got to keep an eye on the money and make sure they don't steal it. It's, it's just a whole bunch of hijinks are just happening here, yeah. Yeah, so they burst in and start looking for the gen or the mar major, looking for him. And he probably would have gotten away unnoticed, except he dropped the dollar bill and it floated down in front of Marcus's face and he catches it. So they surround the roof. Eventually he drops the cello case and... This is W. Grant and Market taken inside, and while those two do that, there's uh, a weird things happening too. Because now, like, they're trying to do night for day stuff where they're filming at the actual house, but it's obviously mm -hmm. like in the middle of the afternoon. But they're still pretending it's like like in the middle of the midnight or something like that. Yeah. And so, like, the time of day stuff here gets really weird. But yeah. 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 There's a couple points where I thought it was morning, but it was still night. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, while they take that inside, Harvey Carnage, the Major, on the roof, and kapunk, something falls off the roof. I did love that, yeah. Yep. Mm. And they don't show, you, they just cut to everyone inside, and they hear just kaboomp, and then, like, another kaboomp. And, is she mm -hmm. like, what well, was she's, that? She's, she's, yeah, and... I think one of them was all like, I think one of the chimney pots fell off the roof. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um... Now she thinks the police are gonna come because she's she's certain. Yeah, he's uh, gone off. The, to, the major like, has gone to go get the cops. Which is nice for them because that at least gives them a little bit of extra time before she starts worrying, uh, wondering why the cops haven't shown up yet. Yeah. Yeah. At least she's not trying to make mm. them go to the cops. Mm-hmm. So Marcus tells the others to bring the majors in. They say that the camp he came down with the chimney pot. And he oh, asked that's if, what it is, yeah. Okay. He asked if he was hurt, and they said, I shouldn't think he felt a thing, and boom, <laughs> boom, boom, he dead. That's a good reaction, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they draw that's straws funny. again, but Mr. Lawson don't want to do it no more. He don't want to hurt that old lady. And, and Marcus... it makes the point that, like, he, he partook of the first uh, uh, match drawing in good faith, and he's like, I'm not going to do this again. This is ridiculous, yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course, he doesn't say it like that. He says, I'm not going to do this like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, uh... Marcus tells Lawson he might be right, but they should get rid of the Major's body. He has a train to catch. And while he's gone with him, they draw... While he's gone to go get the whale barrel, Marcus is like, fucking dead asshole, he's gone. He Let's draw straws again, figure out who killed that old lady. 
And then Peter Sellers gets it this time. Outside and later, the Major's body's in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> Which uh, looks great. There's the way his legs are hanging out. And Peter Sellers just drops a lily onto him. Like, there's a <laughs> lily plant right next to the, 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 the back gate. I thought yeah. that was pretty good. But again, just like seeing all this... Maybe this is me growing up in Pittsburgh. And this kind of reminds me of Pittsburgh. All the black, iron, steel, nasty steam and fog and everything like that. But I just love the way this whole place looks. It's great. Yeah. So, uh, they Lawson and Marcus take it to dump it on the train while Harvey and Sellers go inside to off the old lady. I guess there is a major train station right next door, but it does seem like there's a brand new train coming underneath that the, the tunnel uh, uh, under that house literally every 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... Not with the, the he Sellers isn't gonna kill her with the gun. He's trying to twirl and failing. Yeah, Not I just with, realized I think he's supposed uh, to be like a teddy boy, one of the, like the '50s English greasers, because his jacket and his hair and everything like that. I just realized maybe. that's supposed to be the thing he's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, and not with the knife that Harvey offers him. He'll strangle her with his necktie. So he goes inside there, closes the door, and she's asleep in her chair. And since he doesn't really want to kill her, he just steals the key off her person. So he can make it, get it out of wherever it was, the footlocker yeah, it's in a giant, had like, Ark in. of the Covenant case, yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought for a moment they were going to do the thing where it turns out she died in her sleep, especially after this, this long day of exertion. And mm. I thought for a moment, like, he would get in there and find out she's already dead, and he would, like, play it off like he killed her, he or he did strangle her, but no, she's she actually is just genuinely asleep. Yep. And so he, he makes a dash out the window with the cash. Lawson and Marcus dump the Major's body onto a passing train, which they hang by his ankles and then just drop him. The movie does this weird thing, too, where they like do this very specific sound effect every time someone falls onto the train, where it's like, yeah. ka-chunk sound. Because what they do, instead of actually showing it, yeah, that's what, it's a weird sound. It's not what you think the, yeah, it's like, a, that is the one big Looney Tune sound effect in this movie. And they do that, because I guess they didn't want to, like, try to even try to drop a fake dummy body onto a real train it's just like every time the train shows up there's just suddenly fog and you just have to assume that the, the body landed on the train just because like they just play that sound effect when the screen's all foggy but yeah yeah so after sellers ducks out the window uh lawson gets suspicious that they're trying to keep him out of there so they can off the old lady and he runs back inside and sees her sleeping and assumes she's dead because in this shot she looks dead as fuck. Suddenly, abruptly, she's just like corpsified, even though she's not <laughs> actually dead, but like, yeah. She's gray and just old and extra wrinkly. <laughs> and Harvey's like, hey, fuck, it wasn't me. What do it with Sellers? Did he run off with the money out the window? Oh, fuck. So the big guy gives chase through various doors and fences, just smashing shit up. And they dance on top of Peter Sellers' gun that he just drops and doesn't bother to try to pick back up. Yeah. Lawson thinks he's killed the old lady, and he's like, I would never, but Lawson doesn't listen to him and kills him with a bit of fence. And then he roars inside and attacks the others, saying, You do want nobody hurting her, the old lady. But she's awake now and is like, hey, knock that off. Yeah, he's about to strangle the other two guys on the stairwell. And even uh, evil gangster guy starts beating him in the head with his dildo uh, <laughs> club. And that's not enough to, like, knock him out. And yeah, the lady comes out. And she's like, what's going on? And just like, yeah. What's all this then? What exactly? What's all this? And, um. Oh, where was I? Oh, so, um. Yeah, there's only she 10 says, minutes left of the movie, so there's not a yeah, lot left to happen, really. She says yeah. the key is gone, and they gotta get the cello, bring the cello back, and 
Because they say that uh, Sellers took it. And bring him and the cello back. And then she goes back in her room. And Lawson says he thought she was off. So he... Oh, I made a mistake, alright? And then Mark, Marcus says, put him in the real barrel. Okay, but, yeah. But Lawson's like, nah, you can do it. I'm gonna stay here with mum. And she's followed back to sleep. And then outside, while waiting to dump Seller's body off the same way they did the, the, the other guy, uh, Harvey says, I'll handle Lawson. And Marcus, you can take out the old lady. Then it'll be a 50-50 split. Which I, Marcus, I thought that was cool, yeah. Yeah, but Marcus is like, fuck no, you can handle the old lady. No one wants to kill her. You said you don't like old ladies. You can do it. And after they dump the body, a steam blast past them. And the body just vanishes. Lawson's there with the gun. Yeah, it turned to, he's been sitting there listening to them t- to, like make up this little plan about killing him and the old lady. And so he's like, ah, fuck mm-hmm. it. I've had enough of this. I'm going to He says he's been holes. standing there the whole time. He knows they were going to off him. And they're always talking about how stupid he is, but who's stupid now? And then he tries to this... shoot him. But whoops, the gun doesn't work. This punchline is terrible. And so, yeah, he the, the, the gun doesn't work. There's a big blast of steam. And suddenly you come back, and uh, it's fucking evil gangster guy is rising over the dead body of Big Dude. And he's wiping the blood off his knife. And he pulls up the gun that Big Dude was going to use to shoot them both. And he's just like, the safety was on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's uh, I feel bad that stupid guy was actually stupid to the very end. It cost him <laughs> his life. Oh, yeah. a big a big gang a big known criminal guy like that, you think you would know how to use a gun. Although I guess he was just an ex boxer so maybe he's never really killed anyone before, but like uh maybe, that's terrible. Probably. I yeah. don't know. But anyway. Yeah. So the, uh, they wait for another train. And Marcus starts ranting about how it was a good plan, a great plan. The human element fucked it up. And he rants more and more to Harvey Carson. He's really ranting. Like, it's totally like the lighting here and everything like that is right out of it, like an old horror film, like a 1930s, like, universal thing. It's great. Yep. Harvey calls him crazy and says, uh, he says not to say such things because it makes him mad. And then another blast of train steam comes by when it clears. Marcus is nowhere to be seen. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's hiding behind shit here or there. Harvey shoots at him, bunches, but misses because he, he's dancing about. Marcus tells him, you got one bullet left and vanishes down a ladder. Is that, Harvey, there's, is, does he say the one bullet left? Like, he's standing behind some kind of, like, iron thing with a big hole in it. And he says that, and so he does, like, the spooky ghost reverberation voice into the iron thing. He's like, you've only got one bullet left. Yeah. And then, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. So, he's hiding, uh, he goes down the ladder, Harvey does, goes after him. Thank you. And then as he, I turned into a monster. Yeah, as he's going down the ladder, Marcus is there, he's hiding on scaffolding, and he snatches the gun away from him. And then instead of shooting him, he just starts to pry the ladder off the wall. Yeah, he's and got he's like just, a big piece of uh, wood or iron or something like that, so he starts just starts leveraging the wall off its bolts. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, Saying, on, don't on the worry, another wall. train will be here soon. Yeah. And then, it, so that guy's, he, the ladder comes off the wall and he starts swaying back and forth. And as he falls down into the train, he t- gets a shot off and it's unclear if he hits, uh, Cause, yeah, Alec Marcus does or not. react, but it's hard to tell if it's because he shot or he's just surprised. Yeah. But he does stand up and he doesn't seem to be wounded in the next shot though, but it's no. from far enough away that he could like, 
I don't know. He doesn't look yep. like he shot. Yep, but another train rolls by. Marcus is the victor. He stands up, watching everything, till a signal change hand comes down on <laughs> top of his head, smashing his skull open, and he falls onto the train cars. That is... That is pretty clever, yeah. And that's the one time in the movie they actually use a dummy and throw it into the back of one of the trains, because, like, just the way it's shot, too, just the way, like, this fake thing comes down on top of his head and suddenly Elegantus turns into a dummy and lands in, the like, one of the back loading cars of one of the trains just looks like something from Mythbusters. It looks fucking hilarious. Yeah. And that's it. That's 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 what happens to all that's the bad the guys in this movie. Yeah. And then later, Mr. Wilberforce is at the police station telling him how she wasn't really the head of the robbery gang. She didn't she didn't know, but she got all that money back at her house, so it's all safe, and she doesn't know what happened to any of the guys. They all just vanished during the night, and they're like, well, of course, sure, sure, sure. And they don't obviously believe her, and she's like, you don't think I made the whole thing up to you? And they're like, oh, no, but you could keep the money. It'll only yeah. confuse the issue. Which it, is a funny little callback to what the cops cops uh, or the bad guys were saying. That's mm -hmm. what the cops would say. And then she's yeah. like, "Ah, oh, well, okay, fine." Because they it. don't want to the deal money, with then. it. Yep. Yeah, she's and they like, try okay. to catch her as she goes to give her umbrella back, and she's like, "Fuck it, that's okay. I hate that piece of shit. I can buy fifty of them now." I'm going. I'm going to buy myself a Hello Kitty umbrella. Fuck this mm -hmm. shit. She gives yeah. a homeless man a bunch of money as she walks home, and she's gonna buy all the brooches she can get her greedy little hands on now. Duh, and that uh, that artist, the homeless artist guy in the corner, he's got this hilarious drawing of uh, it's a painting of Winston Churchill, which cracked me up, and I would have bought that in a heartbeat, put it up in my little house. But yeah, and that's the end of the movie. She just becomes uh, uh, a sixty thousand heir. Mm -hmm. And which, hey, I guess 1955, and especially if you only got like 10 years left to live at the most, like that's that's good. Like, yeah, you could you, you're eating prime ribeye steak for dinner every night from now on. Sure, yeah. Fuck yeah. So yeah, that was, that's the Lady Killers. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah, no, it's like and it's only 90 minutes long, which of course <laughs> we love short things on this podcast. But yeah, that was I was genuinely pleasantly surprised. Yeah by that I, I i was gonna do a shtick at the beginning of the podcast where i was gonna act all angry that you made me watch such a dumb old movie mm. but no it was, it was a really good movie though i like it was very pleasant i had a good cast and i'm i'm surprised has this been turned into a stage play or anything like that because i don't know feels, you think it would yeah because looking up there's not much trivia about this other than the guy who wrote and directed this movie he just wrote it for the screen like i don't know if it's ever been turned into a stage play but you think it would because like like, it really takes place in one place, and the only other two places it takes place, like, could be easily simulated on a stage, too, so... And, I, well, I mean, yeah, I guess we know that it's been remade uh, a couple times by other people, too, but... Yeah. That was pretty so, good, 1955's Lady Killers. You know, while, while perusing IMDB looking at this thing, I clicked on Alec Guinness, mm -hmm. and I clicked on his photo section, or his photo gallery for him. Oh, that. no, what did you And find? it's weird because it's like, oh. okay, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Scrooged, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Hitler, 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 oh, Hitler, really? Hitler, 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 Hitler. <laughs> How many times Hitler? <laughs> I don't know, but like... Three fourths of it is is him is Obi Wan Kenobi, then it's a shit ton of Hitler. <laughs> well, you know, he's at both ends of the spectrum. He's an artist. He's allowed a little free range. Yeah, I didn't uh, know he played Hitler, but so it was a quite. I, like I was like, what the fuck? 
I like to think that's not even for movies. It's like he did a bunch of GQ photo shoots as Hitler for whatever reason. Mm, yeah. Oh god, he was like really into like <laughs> like Society for Creative Anachronisms. Like he was doing lots of World War II reenactments, and he always loved to play Hitler all the time. Yeah. God, that I had no idea he played Hitler. Jesus Christ. I didn't either. Not the shoebox, the guy. I know the guy hated how much uh, Star Wars, like, he, like, was the only thing he was mostly known for when he died, but, like, yeah. yeah it's the, uh, this movie proves that he was capable of other kinds of roles, and he was an evil killer in this, so I guess there's no reason he couldn't have played an evil killer like Hitler, too, so. Mm-hmm. That's the, the lady killers. That was good! I'm glad! I'm glad you pulled this up! Good! Because, like, even the other, all, like, even the other Marvelous May stuff we've done like the four projects we did last year i think they were all things we both mutually uh decided on that we had both seen them before and yeah we're good and this is the first one where you just chose something that you had seen before and i'd have heard of before but had never seen but yeah i thought that worked out that was a project that turned out really well i'm glad good yeah i don't know if it made for a good podcast but like... i don't know i don't know if i could have ever convinced you to do this just on its Oh, oh, what? oh like, we could have done that by it, but it would have yeah. taken a long time, probably, because you'd have been like, ah, I want to do this this week. I'm feeling mopey. I want to do this movie. Boof. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah. Just, yeah. Turns out my dad had already tasted movies. Yeah. That, what, did, do you know of any other particular films like this that he liked too? Uh, he. I I know a lot of people malign it, but he like it's kind of the same flavor where it's a comedy of errors. Um. He, and you're gonna laugh because you wouldn't expect this. The Sylvester well, like the Stallone one. Oscar movie. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say like Lavender Hill Mob, but not. No. <laughs> so you no. want to do Oscar and must stop my mom will shoot? No, no, no. Those are two Oscar. different movies. Oscar's Oscar a, it's, a it's a comedy of errors. Yeah, it's a period is, is... piece. Takes it's all about uh, Sylvester Stallone's a gangster who decides he's gonna go straight, and there's a bunch of shit happening that's we... fucking up his day. We could talk about it sometime. I mean, we've yeah. talked about weirder shit on this podcast. Wow, it's got, a, it's got okay. Melissa, Marissa Tomei, um, wow, that's, Tim that's... Curry, a bunch of gangster type dudes. Is that from like 1990? That sounds like a something like that. Yeah, movie. Yeah, let's see. Stallone. Lots of pinky rings. Oh yeah. Uh, because it's gonna be it's gonna be like that fucking Italiano type shit. Oh no! Yeah. Of course, if you look up Stallone Oscar, it's hard yeah. to find. Oh, 1991. Okay, I was only off by a single year. Yeah, uh, oh, I think God. one of his favorite comedies was The Gods Must Be Crazy. I don't know if you ever watched that. Oh, God. My parents rented that once or twice when I was a kid. And all I remember, it's like an African kid in the desert. Or like, I don't know if it's African or if it's no, like a... No, it's... It's, 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 uh, uh, it's, sure it's the bush. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, finds a cocaine in the desert and has to bring it back. And then they somehow made a sequel out of that? Yeah, the sequel's <laughs> not like... very good. And I, they used to play on HBO a lot, of, too, as a kid. I was always like, what the fuck? You're like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Nah, but if you ever want to do the podcast, though, like... You like Kurosawa movies, of course. And... Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because mm. you had mentioned... Yeah, I don't know if you'd ever mentioned Lady Killers on the podca uh, podcast before, but you've definitely mentioned to me in private. And so, yeah, I'm finally good. Good. I'm glad to have gotten yeah, my, that. Yeah, my parents had quite different tastes. Like, he liked that kind of shit my mom liked. More uh, slapstick westerns like support your local sheriff and Hatari and shit like that. She loved Blazing Saddles. <laughs> Man, kicking the balls. Oh, no. No, not quite. I'm thinking about doing Blazing Saddles soon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah nothing I, wrong I, with I... that. It's just a delicate, delicate. <laughs> 
delicate episode. As long as you just believe white people are stupid, that should be easy to talk about. No, that's there's true. A lot of, uh, it's, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, I just caught a bit of that on cable not that long ago. I was like, oh, yeah, because, like, finding out that Blazing Saddles and, uh, fucking, uh, Young Frankenstein were both made in the same year by Mel Brooks. Because mm. uh, I love Young Frankenstein. I, I feel like we've talked about this on the podcast before. But, yeah. like, like, I, I have the, for the bits of Blazing Saddles I saw as a kid I didn't get because I didn't understand, like, like the social shit that movie was riffing off. And I just like the young Frankenstein because Dean Wilder was, he was funny and he yelled a lot and he had funny hair and there was a monster he was making. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, watching parts of it for the first time recently, I was like, oh, this could be actually interesting to talk about. Um, yeah, it just, it could just be a lot more anger-inducing nowadays because since shit, a lot of shit hasn't changed a lot. I know, exactly. That's the terrible thing. Even a decade ago, you might kind of think, well, at least we're getting a little bit farther away from that stuff. And nope, if anything, is history has proven with a recent history has proven that like, nope, Blazing Saddles is always evergreen comedy because yeah. it's always, <laughs> that shit never really goes away. But anyway, uh, yeah, I don't, I couldn't find any really good trivia about the Lady Killers or anything other than the history of like the Eaton or Elon. Oh god, what's the name of the studio? I already forgot the name of the studio that made this shit, but the name of the studio that made this shit, like, has just... That that was most of the trivia just regarding Naked that Dad name. Gong Studio? <laughs> Rank Films Productions? <laughs> who thinks... Us! Who thinks, like, okay, we need a title card for our movie studio, for, our, like, our production shingle. Let's get the nakedest, beefiest, a bobo from Double Dragon looking dude. Yeah. Just banging a gong. It's just, I don't know. I don't know if that has some kind of religious symbolism or, I don't know, what the fuck. But, uh, yeah. But, yeah, so I guess the, we'll talk about what we're doing next. My next pick is... We're going to shift gears a little bit. Uh, well, we're going to shift gears. We're going to jump to the future and to the past at the same time. If such a thing is possible. Oh. We're going to talk about the... Oh, God. What year did the this movie come out? But it takes place... I Actually, I was going to say the 40s, but I think it's technically 1939, if I remember correctly, from the one mm. time I saw this in the movies. But I had mentioned this before. I don't know if I had mentioned this on the podcast, but I want to talk about... Oh, wow. If you wanted to talk about Oscar next, we could make a 1991 double feature, because we talked mm. about Oscar and my next pick, The Rocketeer. Oh! The Rocketeer. And I think we'll I've seen to, it once. We'll try to figure out if it's good, and if it's good for other reasons that other that isn't just Jennifer Connelly's titties. Oh, Jennifer Connelly in that white dress. Oh my Jesus gosh, Christ. how are you doing? I mean... Oh. <laughs> Can we just talk about the white dress? We don't have to watch the movie. All, we have to, all I have to do is do a Google image search Jennifer Connelly the Rocketeer, and we can just talk about that for two hours. Oh my gosh. Jesus Christ. I have never seen a human being like more genetically engineered to be in a specific role in a spe specific costume mm -hmm. than that. Just like, holy shit. Anyway, mm -hmm. we'll talk mm -hmm. about that shit next week. <laughs> That's okay, right? There are lots of gross, <laughs> gross comments from us. A lot us. of gross, just jerking off sounds and dust jerking off into each other's mouths. Oh, and just, like, just so much objectification. Tongue slurping sounds. It's gonna oh, be not, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jennifer Connelly, don't listen. I know and you're I, one of our biggest fans, but you may want to tune out next week. <laughs> I think... I think... Uh, I think I Can we know talk what... I want to talk about how much I want to fuck Alan Arkin. Okay, <laughs> go for it. Up. Or like, we'll, we'll just have a normal conversation, but like in the edit, I'll just every time we mention Jennifer Conley, I'll just change the name to Alan Arkin. 
<laughs> I love there, LA Arkin's titties. Yeah. I, I think I I, knew, <sighs> I was almost gonna do a different movie this week, but then I was like, I oh can't yeah, because sub- you even to me you had offered. Oh god, what's you, you? You even said you were like, Bill, we could do the Lady Killers or this other thing. And I was like, let's do the Lady Killers because you always talked about the Lady Killers. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It oh, wasn't it was something... between that and it was something else, but I can't remember what it is now because I wanted I wanted to <laughs> say the name of the project on the air and have you go. Oh no! Oh, but now you can't remember it, so now, now you're I getting can't old. Remember. Yeah, Great, now you just pulled Bill Mudge and you're like, oh, I was gonna remember a thing, but I didn't, so now I can't yep. talk about it. I didn't put it on my list, so. Yay, we're getting old. Oh well. Uh, you know, you got a week to think about it, so you can blow my. Mo- well, you'll have to think about it because, like, next week you'll to. have to think about what you talk about next after the Rocketeer. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's right, because you get three projects this month. It's true. So, if you hate the Rocketeer, you have two chances for revenge. I, I don't think it, most I'll be ambivalent towards it because I watched a little bit of the Rocketeer last night and it didn't seem that bad because we both talked about offline about how. We both have fun feelings for the Rocketeer, but like that doesn't necessarily mean it translates into still being a good movie. Yeah. Because whenever everyone talks about the Rocketeer, they always talk about Jennifer Connelly, or they talk about just the aesthetic. But no one ever says, "My favorite part of the Rocketeer is this scene." That yeah. doesn't have anything to do with like you know, like, uh, um, but well, I guess we'll find out the hard way next week what's good and what's bad about the Rocketeer. Yep. And this time it was the Lady Killers. It was, it was cute fun. That was for, cute fun. That for was a great. movie about gangsters dying. Yeah, essentially offing themselves, which that's what like especially for a, a film called The Lady Killers. I it's hard not to appreciate how fundamentally the whole premise of the movie completely undermines the title, which that's that's always that's that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, mm-hmm. Ealing Studios. Thank you, Alec Guinness. Thank mm-hmm. you, Sexy Rock Man with the Giant Gong. Mm-hmm. He's Mudrin on Twitter, on the Corporate Turtle on Twitter, Tiny Podcast, Twitter, Tiny Podcast, all the day, get us out there, chairs around, force other people to listen to us. If you got a lady, you need to. Yeah. I was going to say something <laughs> That's terrible. Not like but... Ghostbusters were. Do you have a woman who needs to be murdered? Call the lady killer. <laughs> I was gonna say we could listen four? to our podcast, but that's terrible. No, are you don't. an incel on 4chan who's Couldn't been slighted by a woman? Sick us on them. We'll dox no. them overnight. No. Jesus. God damn, this is getting dark. We need to stop looking at the internet before we go on record these episodes. Okay, shut up. Okay, oh, that's nice. Go. I'm, I'm going <laughs> well, to If I had a spare time, I would totally do podcast art for this episode where it's the Ghostbusters, but they're just dressed. I don't know. How do you make the Ghostbusters but they're dressed like lady killers? Like, I don't what know. What would the logo be? Would it be like the old lady like being crossed out going, ah! Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and, and like, the, the two people that would get that reference really enjoy it, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, it'd have to be a really good caricature of that specific old lady. Otherwise, yeah. it would look like you're just like, this an anti-old lady crossing. No one would get no that. No grannies. Specific, yeah, it would look like no grannies and not a specific reference to the film. So I guess yeah. you'd have to put her parents in the background or something like that, which kind of ruins the simplicity of the... Okay, we should shut up and go. Yeah, yeah, that's all. That's it. Got it. Oh, yeah. it. Uh, until next that's time, it. keep your videos back on so well. Take care, guys. Mm-hmm. Boston makes me feel good.